Welcome to the Love Lab Podcast, a safe place to get real about sex. Whether you're a man, woman, single, or couple, this is the show for you. We are your hosts, Kevin Anthony and Celine Remy, and we are here to guide you to go from good to amazing in the bedroom and beyond. All right, welcome back to the Love Lab Podcast. This is episode 266, and it is titled Breaking Relationship Addiction and Codependency. This is a big topic. I, I think on this show we've talked about these, these topics a little bit here and there, but we haven't really done a deep dive into certainly not the addiction side of it, and I don't think we've covered too deeply the codependency side. So I'm excited to talk about those things today. I have some expert guests with me to help us figure this out. Uh, anytime you are talking about addiction uh, and or codependency, it gets a little sticky and a little tricky. So I'm, I'm glad to have some people here to help sort out these details. I will say, not only in my own life, but also in the work that I do, I have seen so much codependency. Less on the relationship addiction side, at least what I would particularly call addiction, but the codependency side is rampant everywhere. So uh, I think this is something that a lot of people, as we get into the details of it, will really relate to. And then they'll go, oh, oh crap. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. <laughs> so even if you don't think you're codependent uh, or addicted, listen to the show because you might find out that you are. <laughs> and if you are, you want to know now. All right. Before we do that, though, quick word from our sponsor, Power and Mastery 3.0 is here. The men's sexual mastery program you have heard about on the show for a long time is now even better. I've personally reviewed every module, lesson, video, audio, and PDF to see if there is anything else that could be added to make these courses even better. As a result, I have added 10 new videos, one new audio, eight PDFs, and dozens of links to handpicked products to help support your journey to mastery. In addition, there's also a brand new user interface that makes it easier to navigate the course and find your course materials. So if you're ready to become the sexual master you have always wanted to be, then go to powerandmastery.com. That is powerandmastery.com. The initial feedback on the 3.0 version so far is great, and that of course makes me happy. So go check it out if you are needing help in becoming a sexual master. Okay, so I have two guests with me today. I'm going to read their bio. Carla Romo, certified life and dating and relationship coach, and Sherry Gabba, LCSW and coach. They say, love doesn't have to suck. They know this from overcoming their own dating and relationship horror stories, which led them to being experts in healing from codependency, dating, and toxic relationships. Their 30-year age difference brings you an array of perspectives at any stage in life. If you're dating, in a relationship, or divorced, they've got your back. As hosts of the podcast, The Love Fix, they've got the latest tools on how to navigate dating and how to thrive in a successful relationship. Sounds like the perfect people to talk about this subject, so welcome, Carla and Sherry. Thank you. All right, well, we're just going to dive in here, and I want to kind of start by talking about some definitions here so people understand what we're talking about. And the first question I have is, what exactly is relationship addiction? What are we talking about? When we say somebody's suffering from relationship addiction, what do we actually mean? 
So I'll get into that one. Carla will probably get more into the codependency piece. We kind of have our wheelhouses, but we both do both, of course, specialize in both. But it's a process addiction. It's any kind of addiction, even like gaming or shopping or debting. It's a mood-altering activity like drug addiction is, only it's not a drug or a substance. It's actually a lifestyle addiction, or some people call it a soft addiction. And you still get those euphoric states um, to that love. You're sort of in love with the idea of love. Relationship addiction is maybe a modified version of love addiction. You're addicted to being in relationships and it becomes your whole identity. And just like a drug addict who needs their fix when the heroin or the alcohol is gone, a love addict will have withdrawal symptoms as well if a breakup occurs or somebody um, pulls back. If somebody discards you, let's say someone who's been with a narcissist or any sort of relationship where someone is suddenly, you know, pulled back, you're going to feel that same longing, that need to, to connect. Uh, you feel very empty, feel like you're sort of in the nothingness in the ethers of nothingness when you aren't in that relationship. And because of the need to settle for less, you often don't have a lot of boundaries if you're a love addict or relationship addict, because you want to be with someone no matter what you settle uh, for less often. You're often trying to change others, which is very similar to codependency. You need others to feel whole. Um, usually have abandonment issues, separation anxiety issues, and um, usually you're an anxious attachment style. Not always, you can also be an avoidant, but mostly an anxious attachment style that needs to connect no matter what. That was fantastic. You brought in actually quite a few elements in your, you know, because, you know, a lot of times if you ask somebody, okay, what's the definition of whatever, they'll give you kind of the standard definition. But I love that you brought in a bunch of extra pieces in there because those, those are all really valuable pieces. And I didn't have to pull them out of you piece by piece throughout this interview. So, so thank you, because honestly, <laughs> that was a really clear explanation of what relationship addiction is. And I want to make a point too. I really uh, I like how you started that off by saying it was like any other addiction, because now I do not specialize. There's, there's a couple of things I don't specialize in in the work that I do with clients. One is addiction, and the other is trauma. So generally, if somebody's got serious addiction problems or serious trauma stuff, I want to refer them off to experts because there are people like yourselves who really that's what they do. However. When I do have clients and I start to see those addictive patterns, one of the things that I often tell them is that this is no different than any other addiction, right? And that's sometimes hard for them to wrap their minds around of because they're like, well, no, no, this is this, this, it's sex or it's relationship. It's different from my other addictions. So one of the things I'm trying to help them do often is see that they're not different, that they stem from the same root. So I appreciate that you brought that piece up. Right. The opposite of addiction is needing connection or is connection. So you're right. Anybody that has a substance abuse issue, they're lacking some sort of connection. And so they're escaping with something outside themselves instead of going inward. Um, you know, it's, you know, they're just they're expecting something on the outside to make them feel good on the inside. Yeah. So, of course, this brings us then to the second question I have is perfect segue, which is how is that different from codependency? <laughs> All right. So I will go into maybe not as much of a comprehensive definition of codependency. Uh, but as I like to define codependency uh, is losing your sense of self to somebody else due to having a low self-esteem. Uh, 
So really this can look like people pleasing, lack of boundaries, like you always want to say yes to people you don't want to say no, manipulation. Uh, codependents are very manipulative. And this is something that you have to digest in this world of, uh, you know, narcissists are manipulators. And if you're you know, only narcissists manipulate, no, codependents manipulate from a place of, I'm not okay unless you're okay. So I'm going to do everything I can to people, please. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to make sure you're happy. I'm going to look out for your needs, make sure you're okay. So then once you're okay, then I will be okay. And that's manipulation. Uh, they also get into unhealthy relationships, whether it's work, whether it's uh, family relationships, friendships, intimate relationships. Um, there's always a need for validation. There's a need for the other person to be fixed, uh, the other person to be okay. Um, and it's really a loss of self. And so if you're born into this dynamic, you might have always thought that this was a normal behavior. I mean, that's very much my own personal journey with codependency until I realized, oh, I need to focus on me. Like I need to be fulfilled. It's not about making others happy. I have to be the one to make myself happy. But that really is the root of codependency is low self-esteem. And then as a result, trying to manage, control other people. I've also heard people say this as well. It's like addiction to people um, is is a way to look at it, but it's not addiction. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that was a fantastic explanation of codependency also. So I'll, I'll put that right up there. Woo! All right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the, again, you, you brought up a, a few um, you know, multiple things in that as well. And the, the piece that really jumps out to me, which you repeated more than once, was basically the, the lack of self-worth part of that in codependency. And I think that's a part that a lot of people miss uh, when speaking about codependency, because, well, as you said, right, the, the person tends to always be focusing on the other, how they need to be fixed, how, you know, we need to change this, that, or the other thing. And of course, the ego won't let them see the fact that it's often their own stuff, right? <laughs> totally. It's not really about, you know, shame or blame. It's really about, you know, what was your childhood like? And of course, you don't have to have early trauma to be a codependent, but often that is the case. So if parents weren't there for you, they didn't nurture you, they didn't bond with you, they didn't give you what you needed, uh, they were emotionally unavailable, they were inconsistent, then you start um, feeling, well, not start, you start, you're invisible, you don't feel like you have any kind of sense of self. So when Carla said a loss of self, there never was a self. Mm -hmm. So whatever self you thought you had, you know, it was, it, it's not there. So that's why you're such a, um, you're so vulnerable to predators, because they, they, um, you just don't know. You don't know what your preferences are. You don't know what you like. You don't know what you don't like. And so somebody toxic comes into your life and you're easy prey because you just don't have any sense of self. Yeah. Very interesting. You know, one thing that, that I've noticed as well, in addition to everything that you said is that, you know, a lot of us grew up with parents who were codependent themselves. And so, you know, even if they were caring and gave us attention and all that kind of stuff, they just modeled all day long in the household what it's like to be codependent. And in some of those cases, what I've noticed is the relationships, you know, they stayed together, they stayed married, and they seemed like they were decent relationships, like, you know, from the perspective of a young child who doesn't really know any better. So then they, they grow up learning and thinking that this is how you are in a healthy relationship. This is what you need to do. I mean, what, what, what do either of you think about that? Is that something you've seen also? I mean, absolutely. And I think that codependency is like 
a family tree situation that like, it's not just yourself and the trauma you experience. It's your parents passing it down from their parents, from their parents. And you're also with codependency, you look at addiction a lot of times, right? And addiction is very common. You know, a lot of people might say, well, I don't think that, you know, my partner drinks too much or my, my mom drinks too much or, you know, whatever it might be. But addiction looks different for everybody. And I think the other thing too is that that also might be normalized to you. And so you end up picking partners who mimic behaviors of your parents, codependency or addiction. And then as a result, you're passing it down and you're continuing the cycle. Yeah, it's definitely a transgenerational type trauma. I mean, I remember when I went to my first ACOA meeting, for those who don't know what that is, adult children of alcoholics, I remember looking at the laundry list and I'm and I'm like, well, my mother's not an alcoholic, although later in life she did start drinking heavily. But I'm like, this really is weird. Well, her parents were gamblers. So she was really an adult child of addicts, only the addict was a process addiction called gambling. And she picked up all of those, um, you know, so-called Al-Anon codependent traits which were passed down to me. And then, of course, my mother having such a difficult childhood, my dad wanted to make it all good for her, wanted to, you know, so he became, you know, very codependent with her, wanting her to have everything that she didn't have. So we had these two codependents. I mean, they loved each other, but they were highly dysfunctional. So this, this brings up a question that I didn't write down, but seems to make sense in the moment, which is, at the beginning of this, we started talking about how addiction and codependency were different. Now, as we're diving a little deeper in, we're starting to see that they have some similarities. And so my question is, is how often do you see addiction and codependency showing up at the same time? How often do they go hand in hand? Because you just explained that it stemmed from addiction from, from their parents, from uh, your, your parents' parents, and then that turned into codependency. So what? Like, how often do we see those together? Does one tend to create the other? Is one a precursor for the other? So I always say, if you're a love addict, you are most likely a codependent. If you're a codependent, you may be addicted to, you may be codependent on other things, like Carla was saying, work, you know, uh, pleasing others, friendships, but that doesn't mean you're a relationship or love addict. But I would say most often, that's my opinion, love addicts have a lot of the codependent traits, for sure. Mm-hmm. The other the other thing, too, is that actually a lot of addicts are codependent. So you have a lot of the addicts get sober and maybe are working a 12-step program or gone to rehab of some sort or working with, you know, addiction counselors. And what they'll find later on a lot of times is that they also ha- are codependent themselves. And so because it's not, you know, their parents were, right? So it's like they, their parents were addicts. So they also, it's not just like you're an addict and that's it. Like it's, it can, it's there's a lot of like enmeshment there with the codependency and the addiction piece, but not every codependent, like I'm a codependent, right. And I'm a recovering codependent, but I'm not an addict. So not everybody who's codependent gets the, the addiction, but there are addicts out there who do, who are codependent and addicts. Sometimes I would say codependency could take them out with their addiction They're you know, because they're trying so hard to please. And, the, you know, I think about, and again, I use a lot of personal examples because I think it's helpful. My ex-husband was an alcoholic addict. He couldn't say no at his job. And that was his, co- he had severe trauma as a child, severe codependency. And by not saying no, he had an accident at work. And then 
got on painkillers and the rest is history. So I would say often codependency is definitely like uh, Carla says, underneath addiction, which underneath that is trauma. Ooh, okay. Hold on to that thought. We, we want to get to that in a, in a little bit too. But I have another question before that because, okay, so now we're, we're seeing there's a lot of enmeshment as, as you termed it. How does one tell if they are codependent and or addicted? Like, like if somebody's thinking, mm, maybe this is what's going on, maybe this is why my relationships aren't working, what, like, how can they tell if that's happening for them? So I'll hit the codependency side. Sherry, you can back me up on the, the addiction piece. Uh, but I would say you know that you're codependent if you have a lack of self-worth. This is just going to be really deep, and then I'm going to give you really simple examples. You have a lack of self-worth, and as a result, you need to you need somebody else to fulfill that cup for you and to fulfill that. So that can look like being in relationships with somebody who's abusive and not ending the relationship because you have those ups and downs and they give you just enough to keep you holding on. That could be uh, being in a relationship with somebody who's an addict and just your worth is trying to get them sober and you are trying everything you can to get them sober, get them sober, get them sober. They, all your focus is on them um, because why? That makes you feel like you're important. It makes you feel like you're worthy, that you were able to fix somebody, that you are lovable now. So... Those are two different examples, but it really, I mean, it plays out in so many ways in relationships, but the underlying issue around it is, are you staying with this person, right? If you're in a codependent relationship right now or curious, it's, are you staying with this person as a way to make yourself feel better? And that's a hard question to answer because you might not even be aware that that's what you're doing, but the motive of being with them. Is it really about them being sober or is it really about you being okay? And I think that's something to think about there. Yeah. Um, but before we go into the addiction side though, I, I just want to ask a follow-up question to that, which is my experience has been like, I completely agree with you that, that underneath this is the self-worth issue. But my experience has been when helping people is that they rarely ever see it as a self-worth issue right? So if they don't see it as a self-worth issue, how are they going to ask themselves that question? Right. Well, I think that, yes. Okay. I hear what you're saying. So what the question becomes is how do I get this person sober? What, what do I need to do to, to get this person help? And then they start to recognize, I mean, you, you don't start from what my self-worth, you start from, oh, this person is either abusive and I'm trying to fix them and help them with their rages. So let me start Googling how to help this person and fix them. Uh, I, my, my, the person that I love is, you know, an alcoholic. How do I fix them? What do I start doing? What are the steps I can do to like get them to stop drinking so much? And if you're doing any of that, then I'd say that you're probably in a codependent relationship. There's a difference between having boundaries that are healthy and not having any boundaries. So when you're not in a codependent relationship, you might realize, oh, my partner has a drinking problem. And yes, if you're codependent and you might feel, you know, somebody who's in recovery of codependency triggered by it, but you're not sitting there searching, trying to fix them, doing all these things. Instead, you go and talk to them and you share with them, hey, I'm really concerned. I love you. And this, this scares me that you're doing this, uh, you know, but this is kind of the deal breaker for me. It's, it's important that you get help. And if you don't get help, I'm not gonna be able to stay in the relationship. 
somebody who's codependent, that's not even an option. The option is I need to do everything I can to fix this person, save them so that then I feel okay. And I feel safe. Why? Because you're afraid of being single because you're, you're scared to be alone. You're afraid you're gonna have to start over. You're afraid you're gonna never meet somebody like them again. Right. So you tell it's the codependency thinking. It's not, it's not a grounded self. And I've been saying love addicted thinking too, as well. You know, not being able to be alone, feeling empty if you're not with somebody. You'll do anything to not be alone. And that's why you're, you're again, you're both vulnerable to someone toxic or an alcoholic. That's just how it is. If you have a healthy self-esteem and you grew up with what you needed from your parents, you would recognize, oh, this is like I'm losing myself here. Uh, this person is hijacking my life. I am obsessed with this person. This is not healthy. I need to move on. But if you grew up and don't identify those things, you have no sense of presence within yourself, you're just going to continually be other-focused, other-focused. What's great about trauma therapy, which is what I do as a therapist, is I help people get in touch with themselves inside, out. So once you can be with yourself, because remember, addicts are looking to get away from self. They want to be away from the self because it's so painful to be with themselves. Once you can be with yourself, which is what trauma therapy helps you do, then you recognize all of this unhealthy behavior and you're able to go, okay, I can self-soothe. I, 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 can, I can handle my nervous system regulation. I don't have to be with this person because I'm so uncomfortable within myself. But a codependent or a love addict can't do that. Yeah. So... A couple things there. Like one, I love when I sort of reframed the question, um, Carla, with the you know they don't see it as self worth. So how would they recognize it? Those those extra questions that you gave at the end were great because those are questions that they're more likely to ask. So I think that is a great way for people to start the inquiry of am I really in a codependent relationship or not? But then and you you kind of started to go here already, uh, Sherry. I, I'm just curious if there's anything in addition to what Carla shared on how to recognize if somebody is codependent on the addiction side. Like, are there additional things that, that people could look for or questions they could ask themselves to know, like, am I really in, in an addiction uh, scenario in this relationship? Right. Obsessiveness. You know, your whole life is about them trying to fix them, like Carla said, manipulate them. Having sort of a spiritual, emotional, and physical uh, bottom, you know, like when I was with the alcoholic, I got shingles, staph infection, mm. my depression was up, my anxiety was up, all these things started happening to me. And, you know, they say actually the codependent can have more physical, mental issues than the alcoholic. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but, you know, you are losing every part of you. You're bankrupt inside, spiritually, mentally, and physically. And I think that's when you can start asking yourself, oh God, I think I'm in a really unhealthy codependent or love addicted relationship. Yeah. You know, one of the things uh, that my wife and I used to say, and you know, we, she would often have women come to her because, you know, this, this show is about sex, love and relationship. So we, we talk a lot about sex stuff. And we do a lot of coaching around sex. And so when women would show up and say, well, I just, I don't really lubricate much or I keep getting these recurring yeast infections or yada, yada, yada. 
what one of the clear patterns that we saw over the years of doing that work was that those physical responses that women were having were absolutely related to the fact that the relationship itself was either dysfunctional and or toxic and it was manifesting physically in their in their body their their sex center of their body was screaming no no stop get out go away right and so that's similar to what you were just describing sherry well, yeah, if you're resentful, how are you going to be turned on by your partner? You're so full of anger that how are you going to get excited about somebody? You're just you're living in a state of anger. So, yeah, that's one form of physical uh, bankruptcy is <laughs> not getting, you know, not having the, that response that you used to have to your partner. Resentment is is definitely going to cause that. Yeah. So let's let's well, it's not really shifting gears a little bit, but. Um, it's come up twice now, uh, the word trauma. And where I want to go with that is I want, if you can, to explain how trauma factors into this, right? Because you, you started to mention that's kind of beneath all these things we're talking about. So maybe if you could just explain to the audience, how does trauma factor into this and why is it important to understand that? A lot of people think trauma is you know, an earthquake or a fire or a hurricane or a divorce or all these other things. But trauma can can be growing up in a dysfunctional home, you know, having, like I said earlier, having parents that are unavailable and not nurturing, not getting the bonding that you needed, becoming other focused because your parents were so unavailable. So if that's how you grew up, or let's, or even if you necessarily didn't grow up like that, but you had other toxic relationships. Suddenly you have PTSD and you're completely disconnected from yourself. You're disassociating in relationships. So if you're not really present in a relationship, how can you know who you're really with? You don't know yourself or you don't feel yourself or you're not in the moment with yourself. You can't possibly be in the moment with somebody else. You know, like intimacy, when you break it down, I'm sure you've heard this into me, I see and I used to think, oh, he was just unavailable or he was abusive or he was an alcoholic. Well, you know, for me, being a trauma survivor, I had my own intimacy issues. And that's why I was picking those kind of people. So if you have a lack of connection with self or you don't have an intimate relationship with self, you can't connect to somebody else. And you actually might even be repelled by somebody that is really available. Like, oh, you know, and so when you do the trauma therapy, you're like, okay. Let's just get on the edge of that discomfort. Let's just kind of feel what it feels like to be with this nice guy, let's say, who you kind of aren't crazy about. But let's see if you can just kind of be there for a minute. Because if you're someone with trauma, you're going to like the bad boy or the bad girl, whoever's listening to this show or this podcast. You're going to want the person who's unavailable. You're going to want the avoidant because that's how your fo your parents were. And that's what you're used to. And we attract what we want. We attract what we know. So get used to attracting something that's you know, different, actually run the other way if it feels too familiar. But that's what I would say. Although I have to, the caveat is you have to have a track, you have to have some chemistry. You can't just make yourself like, <laughs> you know, people think I just don't like them. Okay, well, there has to be some kind of spark yeah. of some kind. But if it's that, oh my God, obsessive spark, fantasy, mm. fantasizing run. about them. You know, th I was thinking about my wedding dress, you know, all of that stuff is not healthy. 
I am so glad to hear you say that because I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation, not just with clients, but with my own personal friends as I watch them go through these, these dating cycles. And here's, here's what I hear from the women a lot. They, they say one of two things like, oh my God, the chemistry is crazy. Oh, and they're just all about it. Every time that happens, those relationships crash and burn. But then they meet somebody nice who treats them really well. And like from a third party perspective, I can sit back and go, oh, they look like they're really compatible. And, and what, is the, what is the thing they say every single time? Yeah, but there's, there's, no, there's no like spark. There's no like uh-huh. chemistry there, right? <laughs> and then I say, oh, okay, that's, that's interesting. Well, tell me how your date went, right? And then, wow, it actually was really cool. And he did this for me. And we had a really nice time. And like, then, then you hear all this stuff. Yeah, but I just, I don't know about him because I just don't feel that chemistry there, you know? And yeah, that that to me starts to signal that there's some addiction there, right? Because they're I mean, Carla is the, definitely the dating expert, but I would just say this. If there's no chemistry, give them, a, you know, give them a, not no chemistry. If there isn't a spark, some kind of spark, go out with them one or two times. Yep. see. Just, just give them a little, you know, yes. a lot of time, but just a couple of times. And then if you have the, oh my God feeling, have your eyes open. Start looking for the red. Yeah, that's like, what, yes. Like, I always say slow down. Run, but I mean, if you have that, oh my God, crazy feeling, it's probably not going to be the right person. However, it could be, you have to just see, that's when you have your eyes open and go, are there red flags here? Is this person toxic? Is this person unavailable? Is this person avoidant? So I wouldn't like necessarily run the other way, like I maybe said earlier, just be aware. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've got a client. This is a perfect example. She just actually recently got married, um, but she was in toxic relationships prior and she met this guy on an app who's now her husband, spoiler alert, uh, and went on a date and then was like, uh, I don't know. It's kind of boring. And I said, okay, let's that boring's great. You haven't had boring in a long time. Let's go one more date. Let's see what happens. Goes on the second date and then emails me and it's like, okay, Carla, like actually it was awesome. He and I have so much in common. This is great. And now they're married. So, and they're in a really healthy relationship. So boring, chill, like all of those things might feel, you know, just not familiar and not exciting, not that spark factor. But I always say, like Sherry was saying, if there's a spark, slow down, slow down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, that's exactly my advice in these cases all the time is I, I'm really trying to get them to not rely on the chemistry or the spark as the actual reliable signal. Because I've, I've found that, it's, one, it's not reliable. And two, people who do have codependent or addictive uh, tendencies absolutely cannot rely on that signal at all. And, but they think that's the signal, like the, that's the one. Oh, I felt it here. I like, or I felt it down here. And like, that means they're the one, but it's absolutely unreliable for those people. It is. It's, it, it does not mean that you'd be a great, be in a great relationship or it's the right person for you. And, and getting back to the addicts and alcoholics, a lot of times they do what's known as cross addiction. So now they've given up the alcohol and drugs, and now they're in, now they're looking for the next high. Like a lot of them end up being food foodaholics or love addicts, or they end up um, gambling, you know, or deading because now they no longer have the substance. So that's just something I wanted to throw out there that if you are someone that's in recovery, you know, be aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. That. 
that's a whole other topic we could do a whole yeah. show on about how the overwhelming majority of people never solve their addiction. They just substitute one addiction for another. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and even some of the programs that are supposed to help you solve addiction, all they really do is give you another addiction. But we don't need to go there. <laughs> it's not the focus of this episode. It is a little well, bit the, of a Well, their job is, online, you know, I would say this, just real quick, you know, I really believe in those programs, but that's not trauma therapy. That's not dealing with the deeper issues. Those programs are just to help you manage, become more manageable in your life. It doesn't mean it's going to help you with all those other things that are underneath the addiction. That's a very valid point that you bring up. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I need to take a short break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about what people can do about this. Because so far, we have covered, you know, what are they? How do you recognize if you're in these patterns? And then we got to give people at least a little bit of something about what do you do about it? Okay, so are you a couple? Are your relationship and sex life where you want them to be? Are there changes you would like to make but just don't know how? Maybe you think there is nothing that can be done. I challenge you to make this year the year that changes. If you are not 100% happy with where your relationship or sex life is, then get help today and change your life. Go to kevinenseline.com forward slash sex dash coaching dash couples. I know that link is a mouthful. Don't worry. It's in the description. Schedule a strategy call with me today and find out how I can help you get your relationship and sex life back on track. That is kevinandseline.com forward slash sex dash coaching dash couples. Link is in the description. Okay, so as I said uh, before that little break, we covered what is addiction, what is codependency, how can somebody recognize if they're in those patterns. The next logical question is, is if you realize you're in one of those patterns, what do you do about it? Now, there may be, it may be the same type of advice for both, or it may be separate. So if you guys uh, have your own take on like, maybe what you do for codependency is a little different than what you do for um, uh, addiction, or maybe if, maybe it's the same if you if you're experiencing both, I don't know, but I'm, I'm really curious to hear from both of your perspectives. What does somebody do when they figure that they're in one of these patterns? I mean, I always like to say when you're finding out that you're codependent, I always say get a life. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but I genuinely mean that. And I'm really big on self-love. Sherry knows this. We talk about this all the time on the Love Fix podcast, where the most important relationship you're ever going to have is the relationship with yourself. And so my whole thing is, is start getting connected to yourself. Codependency is disconnection from self, right? Because you're so enmeshed with somebody else. And when you're looking at breaking free from codependency, and it's multi-layered here, but one of the biggest things is starting to create a self-love practice. You know, if you don't have resources to coaches or therapists, um, you aren't going to 12-step programs, you know, you're like, I just kind of want to start doing this myself. You know, really think about what what are how are you talking to yourself on a daily basis? What are you doing in regards to your interests? How are you showing up for yourself? Um, you know, I always say that getting a life doesn't have to be this like, okay, you're going to do this, this, and this all at once and it's done. No, it can be very slow. Um, a lot of times codependents don't even know what their favorite color is. They don't even know what they want to do in the next year or so for their goals. So it's like starting and just kind of asking yourself, who am I? And that's okay if you freak out and you're like, I don't know who I am. I don't even know where to start with that. But go back to something that you enjoy or did enjoy in the past. 
Maybe you really liked painting. Maybe you should go buy some paints and, you know, sit there and get a canvas and paint a little bit and start to connect with yourself in that way. It's not this like big boom, you know, I realize I'm codependent and I'm going to get rid of it and fix it. If you're codependent, you're always going to be codependent. Even if you're recovered, you know, it's it's a daily practice. Sherry and I talk about this all the time. There is no fix to it. It's a journey. And so starting your journey looks like what's one thing I could do today or this week that I could connect with myself. Maybe it's making yourself dinner. Maybe you're skipping meals because you're so stressed and you can't think straight. You know, it's it's these little things to start to show up for yourself that over time then become habits. And then that's what starts to pull you out of the codependency. And then I would say from a trauma lens, you know, if you realize you keep doing this over and over again, there probably is some kind of trauma. So find yourself a really great trauma therapist, someone like myself who does somatic work or someone who does EMDR or uh, energy healing, tapping, uh, polyvagal theory. There's all kinds of great therapists I'll say like myself that do this. Yes. Like yourself. I'll back you on that. Not everybody, you know, will need that. Some people can just, you know, start the self-care, self-love journey. Uh, But if it keeps happening over and over again, I think you might want to look a little deeper. I mean, this is, you know, and and again, there's no shame here. I, I, I talk about that all the time. No shame. These are opportunities to heal and grow and become self-aware, something that maybe you didn't have before. Um, It's an opportunity to shift from everything being on the outside that makes you feel good to starting to feel good from the inside out, which is what Carla was talking about. Um, And, you know, identifying, do I have a toxic relationship with myself? Because that's why maybe I keep picking these kind of relationships because my relationship with me is toxic. So um, Carla's absolutely right. This isn't a quick fix. We always say we're not the quick fix girls or we haven't we're not the band-aid girls girls. (laughs) that's what we always say (laughs) i mean what's so great about the love fix podcast is there's all kinds of things to learn different modalities different healing opportunities different things that everybody's you know everyone's going to have a different uh they're going to grab onto something different for their for their healing journey yeah i mean i'm just even gonna use myself as an example when i started the healing process over over 10 years ago around my codependency I started with EMDR, you know, trauma therapy. EMDR doesn't work for everybody, you know? And so it's like Sherry said, there's, it's like not a one size fits all. You got to, you know, try different things and it's a journey and explore. And you might need one thing at a different time in your life and different chapter. And then something else pops up two years down the road and you'll need something else. Yeah, I love I love that you brought up a couple of things. Like one, you gave people a bunch of ideas of different types of therapy or or, you know, tools that they could potentially use to help themselves. But I think even the bigger, more important thing that you both said there was that this is a journey. And don't expect that you're going to find this tool and it's going to cure you and all will be well after that. That this is something that you're going to be working on probably for your whole life. Yeah, but a lot of people don't want to hear that. You know, when you're an addict, you want it now. You want it, you want it yesterday mm-hmm. or you're codependent. So it's really about, okay, what is this about? Oh, I know what it is. I my nervous system's unregulated. So I want it now. I don't know how to like self-soothe. I don't know how to calm myself down. Once you learn those tools, then you're available for the process, the journey. You don't need to have yes. it. Like I, I had a client say, Oh yeah, this guy wants to um heal me in 30 days, going to help me get over my breakup in 30 days. And I'm like, okay, this could be a snake oil salesman. I mean, this, this, this just doesn't work that way, but 
I guess that's another thing I often say is be discerning. Who do you want to work with? You want to work with somebody that's going to give you a quick fix? Are you going to work with someone who there's going to be, you know, um, what's the word? Not resilience, but sustainability. Someone, you know, yes. people, programs yeah. that are sustainable, that healing that is sustainable. Well, you know, I can tell you that on this show, it's perfectly okay to give advice that people don't want to hear because the overwhelming majority <laughs> of advice that I give on this show is what people don't want to hear. But see, this is there the problem, go. right? Because most of the people that do what I do are those snake oil salesmen. I'm sorry. I just yes. have to call it out for what it no, is. No, I we get it. They tell you they tell you <laughs> that it's going to be a quick fix yeah. this and it's a that and it's a that. Just do this, that, bing, bam, boom, got my 30-day system, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't work. It works maybe for a short period of time. Time, but it doesn't work long term. And so I'm always exactly. on this show, like, you know, I, I do a lot of work with men with uh, erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, look, you got to clean up your diet, right? You got to start exercising. You got like, there's all these other things that people just don't ever want to hear. I'm like, but if you don't do those things, whatever other pill tool they give you, it's not really going to work, right? So yeah, we're, we're used to giving advice on this show that people don't really want to hear. But that's exactly why I do this show, because they may not want to hear it, but they need to hear it. So yes. somebody's got to put it out there. The other thing too, I have to say, you have to hit a bottom. I didn't get help until I hit my bottom in my codependency. And everybody's bottom is going to look different. There's not one size fits all. And I also point this out too. My life is freaking awesome today because I'm not making choices based off of my self-worth and my codependency. So the payoff is fucking real. Like that's what I have to say. Like, yeah, you got to do the work and it's a journey, but I can tell you my life is freaking awesome. Um, so uh, yeah, that's, that's a other big thing I, I want to point out with all of this. And just a reality check, you know, sometimes you can have a relapse too. Like yes. you can end up having this awesome relationship or life is just so awesome. And then all of a sudden you've been attracted to somebody again that, you know, you probably should, should have walked away from. And then you end up going back just like alcoholics. They have relapses. So, you know, be kind to yourself, be compassionate, be compassionate. We are just human beings. And sometimes things get to the, the best of us and we end up doing things. Recently, I was in a quote situationship that I knew probably shouldn't be in. And I relapsed, right? Because I kind of wanted something to work out. And I was really kind to myself when it didn't work out. I said, okay, just another reminder, you know? So there's there's no perfect day that comes, you know, I don't want to, I, I just don't, I think people think that, this is it. I will be, you know what I'm saying? That's the fantasy though of love addiction. That's the fantasy of codependency, like happily ever after. Yeah. Oh, I, I finally got the relationship. Everything's good. The work is done. Right. And it's like, no people like life is like ups and downs. Humans exactly. are ups and downs. Like there isn't this like, got it. We're perfect. I mean, anytime that I see a couple on Instagram that like flaunts how amazing they are and like is like all about just them and there's all these posts on them. There is always a part of me that goes, I wonder what's going underneath some of that. <laughs> you know, there, there's a difference of like posting and saying like, oh, my relationship's awesome. This is like what it is, like whatever. And like one or two kind of things like here and there. But you know, those, you guys all know what I'm talking about. Those couples that like... Right? Like couples goals. They just had a fight just before they took that, you know, 30 second shot, you know, on Facebook. I mean, healing, <laughs> healing is up. There are ups and downs with healings. There's yes. that's part of life. Life is yeah. ebbs and flows, just like the ocean. It ebbs and it flows. Yeah. This is this this is how it is. And let let's it's acceptance of that. 
Yeah, that, that, that is a great point that you bring up. And life really is ebbs and flows and everything requires continuous work. And that's, that's again, a, a, something that people don't really want to hear. But, you know, my wife oh. and I, we used to say all the time, everything is either growing or dying, right? You're either putting the effort in to, yeah. to build something, to sustain something, to grow something, or yeah. you're not. And if you're not, it's, it's going in the opposite direction, right? So it's, it's either moving forward and growing and expanding or it's shrinking and dying. And people don't really want to hear that. A lot of people want the easy route. They just, they, they, they want to get it to a certain level and put it on autopilot and just let it cruise. But there really is no such thing in life, no matter what topic you're talking about. And a lot, and often really people don't want to feel the pain. I can't tell you how many people don't want to feel that pain. And you know what? You have to feel the pain to get to the other side. That's just yeah. how it is. You can't avoid it. You well, can't go from one relationship to the next and expect to, to expect to be fulfilled because you're you're basically expecting that relationship to fill you up on the inside when really it, it's there's so much more to it. Yes, and I think the other thing too on this is like the you're you're not living a full life of you know a range of emotion because in order to ha like have happiness, right? You have to have pain. Like it's not, it's not just like pain and then that's it, right? It's not just happiness and that's it. So if you're suppressing your feelings, like you're in like survival mode, really. And that's, I mean, I could say that from my own experience of like, that's how I used to live my life. It's just trying to survive, trying to maintain when's the other shoe going to drop, right? And what Sherry talked about earlier, that's a lot of trauma. And so I think it's a really beautiful thing when you can get to the point of accepting and allowing the pain to be there, even if it's hard, even if you're gas pedaling it, right? Like you put some pressure on the gas pedal and you put some brakes on and put some pressure on the gas pedal brakes on. It doesn't mean you just have to floodgate the, the pain, but you cannot feel true, you know, this whole spectrum of happiness and, and beautiful life and love and all of those things if you don't allow the pain to come in. Well, now now we're getting into the, the sort of philosophical end of this, right? Talking about the nature of our reality and the multiverse that we live in and the fact that the entire thing is based on duality. And so if there's happiness, there's got to be the opposite of that Happen. too. All right. Um, so we are getting close to the end of the show, and I have two more questions for you. Uh, the first one is, uh, are there any last pieces of advice that either of you would like to share with the audience in regards to uh, trauma, addiction, codependency? A trauma piece is definitely get the help that you need. Work with someone beyond a talk therapist or a coach. There is a place for coaches and there's a place for talk therapists. But if there really is trauma, you've got to work with a trauma therapist. I, yeah. I completely agree. That's why when I, when, yeah. if I get underneath the surface and find that there's serious trauma there, I'm yeah. like, you, you need to go work with this I person. <laughs> do the same thing as a coach. Yeah. It's, I always refer out for, or for, for therapy and, and trauma therapy, especially. The other thing I'd say too, with the codependency is that you don't have to live your life this way. Like there are absolute resources, ways out. Sherry and I talk a lot about this on the Love Fix podcast. We have group coaching programs around this. Like you don't have to stay stuck in this. Like this is a choice and this is an option that you have. And so being able to name it and claim it gives you choices of how you want to respond to it. Yeah, wonderful. That That's great. I mean, leave them with a little bit of positive advice. You don't have to live this way. There is something you can do about it. But of course, you got to take at least the first step, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, 
there were a couple of little loose ends I would love to ask you about, but we probably don't have time to get into them. So I'm just going to skip over those because I think we did a really good job of explaining to people what these things are, how they can recognize them, and giving them some idea of what they can do about it. So I think we did a pretty good job of covering that topic. So I'm going to skip to the last question that I ask all of the guests that come on the show, and you each get an opportunity to answer this one. So this is the Love Lab podcast. Its subtitle is Sex, Love, and Relationship. So the question that I always like to ask people at the end of the show is, what is your best sexual talent? Oh, go ahead, Sherry. Was a surprise. Sexual talent? <laughs> Sorry, I love Sherry's response right now. Her mouth is like open. This is great. Sexual talent. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I almost like want to wait to have Sherry answer this. First. I don't even. I, I just don't know how to. I don't know how to answer that except. Um, <laughs> I can't answer that. You want me to answer it? I'll answer it first. Then okay. maybe I'll give. You then maybe I'll get an idea or two. Confidence within myself. And that's, that's a really, that's a really big thing for me is that, and I can, I can even speak to this in terms of like my sexuality and past relationships and things like that. But for me to feel connected sexually, I have to be doing the work within to feel confident. And then I can bring my needs to whoever it is that I'm, you know, with. Okay. Currently right now is my partner. Um, but, but that's, but, but that's what's important for me. That's my talent is being able to focus on myself, work on myself and then bring that sexually. Well, by the way, Kevin, that's a great question because you had my mouth open, but I say reciprocate reciprocation being, being reciprocal in a relationship, in a sexual relationship. Awesome. Those and, are- and being, and having the ability to be intimate, truly intimate. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's very good. Th- those are great answers. See, I love to kind of leave that question open ended because the first thing that goes through everybody's mind is, oh, uh, some sort of physical skill thing I got to talk about. But if you've listened to this show for any amount of time, those of you who are listening, you know that the overwhelming majority of things that we talk about are not physical skills. It's not how to use your hands or your mouth or your genitals or, or whatever. Like, yeah, that, that's part of it. But what truly makes sex great is all that other stuff around it, right? So, yep. you know, like, like you said, Carla, if you can't really be available for your partner, it's not going to be great sex. It's just not, yep. right? Nope. And, you exactly. know, same thing... Um, Sherry, you know, if, if um, it's always one way in a sexual relationship and there's no reciprocation there, you're going to end up with a bunch of resentment and eventually your sexual relationship isn't going to work anymore, right? So absolutely just as valid an answer as any other. So thank you for being a good Oh, good. Sport. I'm so glad I, I got that right. <laughs> You know, there really are no wrong answers to I that got question. It. Sherry and I have a 30-year age difference, and so that was kind of fun. <laughs> Good. Well, and that's that's also why why I like to ask that question because it's just a fun way to end the show, and pretty much everybody blushes a little bit when I ask that. So thanks for being awesome. good sports. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right. Yeah, well. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think you did a great job of helping people understand 
what uh, uh, addiction is, what codependency is, how trauma factors into all of that, and how they might be able to help themselves if they're stuck in that. So thank you. And for the listeners, just make sure you go to thelovefix.com. It's really simple, thelovefix.com. We've got all our programs there. We have a free workbook. We have a quiz, Are My Relationships Healthy? Um, Lots of goodies. So go to thelovefix.com and you can learn all about us and hear our podcast. Yep. And there will be a link in the description to that. And uh, any any other places you want to send people or just over to the Love Fix podcast? Yeah, go to the Love Fix. That's that's where we're at. That's where Sherry and I are hanging out. All righty. <laughs> well, thank you again. It was a great conversation. I appreciated having you both on the show. Thank you. All right, everybody. That's all the time that we have for this episode. And I will see you next week. We hope you like this episode of the Love Lab podcast. If you enjoy this show, subscribe, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. And for more free, exclusive content, join us in the Passion Vault at CelineRemy.com forward slash vault. That's C-E-L-I-N-E-R-E-M-Y dot com forward slash vault. Thanks for listening. And remember, you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs>